Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Omar Dorsey is my guest on the show. He's a familiar face in television and film, Selma, When They See Us, Django Unchanged, Ray Donovan, Bones, Genius, Aretha Franklin. Omar currently stars as a fan favorite Hollywood and Ava DuVernay's NAACP award-winning show, Queen Sugar. Queen Sugar has been lauded for his powerful portrayal of an African-American family in the Deep South. He can also be seen portraying the charismatic and ever-so-stylish Fareed on season two of Star's Power Book 3, Raising Cain. Earlier this fall, again, Omar will be reprising his role as Sheriff Barker in Halloween Ends, the latest installment in Bloom House, produced Hollywood franchise. The film will premiere in theaters on Friday, October 14th, just in time for the holiday celebration. <laughs> you don't have to wait to see him, right? I got it right here, y'all. The familiar face and all. Please welcome the Money Making Conversations Masterclass, the one and only Omar Dorsey. My hey, thank you, for, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction, Rashawn. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just telling you something, Omar. You know, the, a body of work should be recognized because uh, I look at sometimes we 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 just grinders. You know, what I'm saying you're an entrepreneur. You know, people say so he's an actor. No, he's an entrepreneur because he's right. he's building a business, building a career, and when in the process of doing that, there are peaks and there are valleys, and there's sometimes when you just you just cry because you don't know. You've chosen the right path. Can you talk about some of your journey early on? Because uh, when I was going through your your resume, it was one thing that stood out. In 2006, all those beautiful credits I've read about, got names associated. You did an episode of Entourage, and they listed you as the young thug number one. That's that's a credit. That's a credit. And so, but that was 2006. Right. Let's talk about when it started turning after 2006. You know what? I I, I came home after I did Entourage, and it, it was pretty good. It was all right. I had a good time. I liked the show a lot. Uh-huh. But I said, I don't want to play thugs anymore. I want to play something my kids can be very proud of me of, right? Yes, sir. So um, I, there, there have been times in my career where I've stepped back. 
But I was like, you know what? Let me figure out exactly what the next phase of my career is going to be. And if it takes time for me to do whatever I need to do, um, if it takes six months or a year, uh, then I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And just so I can be seen in a different light. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I, after that, I said, I don't want to just play these nameless people. Or, and it was a pretty good role. You yeah, know, it, was just, it just sucked that it was called that. You know right. what I'm saying? Dude, you don't know if this guy, the young thug or whatever, if he co goes home to a wife and kids or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, um, about that time was the time I just stepped back. And I think I might have changed agencies and managements because I said I had a vision for myself. Mm -hmm. That went much, much, much further than just, you know, playing bit parts. Right. And I got with an amazing manager. I got with a um, manager who I'm with right now, Frank Gonzalez, mm -hmm. who saw the vision. Right. And he said, you know, Omar, yo, I see what you're trying to do. And, you know, let, allow me to guide you and, and, and to take you to that next level. And, you know, ever since then, we've been rocking and rolling. Yeah, that, that, that's why I, that's, I wanted to bring that moment up because, like I said, there are many moments we have in your life. And so, but also you have to make a decision because people will see you and keep pushing you down the lane where they think you should be at, where they think you should go. And then you have to realize that there's an unknown when you push back. And right. That's not me. I don't, you know, yes, I'm working, but I don't want to work like that. What fear right. or unknown did you did you have to introduce your peer group around you? What support group did you have, or was it just you? When it's you definitely my peer group. Uh, you know, I have like a lot of friends mm -hmm. who are extremely uh, successful, and even in 2006, uh, the guys who I rolled with, uh, they they were getting it. They were getting it, and I was like, we all started out together. Right, and right. there's no reason why I should be lagging behind. And if we all started out at the same time, and even though I don't measure my success by anybody else's, but I saw the opportunities that were out there, right. and I didn't want to uh, drop the ball and get into a, a rat race and just get into like, well, I'm always playing the same thing, getting pigeonholed. Uh, even now, as much as I do love playing Hollywood, I will go around and play something like Kenneth Fareed, or I will go and play. Uh, yes, sir. Long and, and Harriet. I'll do something different that's so different than what I'm playing because I don't want anybody to ever pigeonhole me into uh, you know what they think I should be doing. I'm an actor who comes from the theater, man. I, I'm used to playing Othello or playing Iago, either one. You know, I'm used to doing August Wilson. I'm used to doing Tom Stoppard. Right, I'm used right. to Bertolt Brecht and all these different things. So it's like I didn't want to come into the film and television game and just, okay, well, he's a big guy. He's dark-skinned. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and just make him thug number one. No, nah, no, nah, if I'm going to be a thug, let me be Nino Brown. Absolutely. You know? There you go. There you, and they shouldn't have killed him at the end of that New Jack uh, shit. Exactly. That's why they right. had sequel two, three, and four. They had, they had several sequels. Now, they had all the money. See, I, did, I didn't mention the credit there, Omar, that you had, but you're going to bring uh -huh. it out anyway because I hated you. I yeah, hated right, you. Yeah. I hated yeah. you and Harriet. Ah, boy. I Everybody see. hated me. Yo, people were, you know what? For sure, <laughs> I have never felt so much bitchery all of my life. Like, personal. Right. I, people were like, oh my God, you're a sellout. And how could you like, bro? I was like, you know, I said, I must have been doing an amazing job because people were writing op-eds about me. I was saying, yo, I must have been really good at hey, this. You were, you I were fantastic. I was talking to Sam about it because me and Sam both did Django. Uh -huh. and, I talked, and, and Sam was like, man... You one up me on this one, man. I said, he said, bro, they hated me and Django. He said, they're going to despise Because I think he saw an early uh, viewing of it. He said, they're going to hate me. 
they're going to despise you in this one. I say, I, that's what I want, man. And I right. come back to Hollywood again, you'll love me again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I would tell you something, man. If, if you haven't seen this, the movie, um, Hollywood, would you, you, and, he, and he creates a relationship again in the acting scene with in Aretha, you know, yes. genius series with Cynthia, who starred yeah. as was the lead in Harriet. And yeah. so that's what a great role is about, because we know you're not a, in that period. You know, you're exactly. you and you go back there and you accept the role and responsibility. But by the way, ain't nobody going to hate nobody more than Samuel and Django Unchained. That. That fool. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna tell you something, yo. When we were doing the movie, when he first comes down the stairs, right, right, and we all in the line, we watching him. And Sam goes into that character. I it took everything inside of me not to laugh because Sam was so on the nose. Yes, I had never seen anything like it. I was like, man, he is chewing up this scenery, and he's a ball, man. I was like, this is an acting lesson because he was in the moment. He was in the character. Yeah. Man, that's, he's my favorite actor of all oh, time, man. Oh, that's man. That, that, that dude right there, he was more white than, he was black, but he was more white. He was more of a the white, white slave owner than the slave owner. They were like, can you pull up? Nah, man. No, you don't treat them. You treat them like this. They yes. like, you treat them. He had forgot Bro. who he was. Man, you treat listen, like this. man, that was, I'm telling you, man, that's mm -hmm. like, uh, when we were shooting that, I was laughing. I, was, I wanted to laugh so hard because, he was really into that character so deep. Yes. But it was so funny because it was so outrageous. But it, and I, it was, uh, but yeah, man, so it was, it's a couple of characters like that. Like, I think Mr. and Color Purple is pretty uh, atrocious too, but he has a redemption at the end. But, right, right. You know, no, you had no redemption. You had no, Omar, Omar, you didn't get no redemption in Harry. You didn't get, I have none. You didn't Sam had no redemption in, um, in, in Django. <laughs> now, Mr. had redemption in Color Purple. Yes, but yes. I, no, no. no, but that's the beautiful uh, part of, like I said, I was reading the credits, you know, Selma, Ray Donovan, which I loved you and Ray Donovan and oh, things man, like man. that, Bones. All those yeah. bodies of work that are available to African American talent now that we right. do. I just I could say, man, probably about eight years ago, all we had was reality shows with black people acting in them or unscripted shows. When did That's you real. start noticing the opportunity was opening for better scripted series like you're on right now in Queen Sugar, which is helmed by Ava DuVernay, which right. is a you know award-winning NAACP uh series. When yes. you start seeing roles like that come your way, you went, wow. It's, it, it's, we starting to turn the corner for African American talent. It was the year that it was the year that uh that 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 Jesus Lord, it was the year that 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 we came out. Mm -hmm. It was the year Queen Sugar came out. Because Queen Sugar came out, mm -hmm. Atlanta came out the same year. Yes. And I think Insecure might have came out the year before. Mm -hmm. So I saw the turn, and then the next year the shy came out. Right. And I said, okay, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. this is what we look like. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what we look like mm -hmm. in my regular life. Mm -hmm. It's not, everybody's not drug dealers, everybody's not basketball players, everybody's not reality stars. Right, or, right. You know, no, like these are regular people living regular lives. Right. That's how 99% of the people who I know, not the people who are like zillionaires. But the people, even the people who are famous actors or whatever, man, we all live the same way that we live on The Shy, on Queen Sugar, on Atlanta, on Insecure. It's the same thing. And we finally get to see the reflection. It was those two years, man. It was 2015 and 2016. And, and I said it wasn't the renaissance of black um, television. Because Renaissance means rebirth. It was the birth right. of black television. Mm -hmm. It's not just sitcoms. Right. It's not just us being silly or just... And trust me, man, my favorite shows in the world, 
for the rest of my for my whole life have been Sanford and Son and the Jeffersons. Absolutely. But it's not all just sitcoms. Right. You know, I'm funny, but I ain't that funny. Right. I ain't gonna be able to be on nothing as good as like uh Red Fox or or, or Sherman Helmsley, you know. Right. But I know that I can act and I know that I can bring what I can bring to uh, you know, to drama or even to to some dramedy. So uh it was those, it was 2015, 2016, when I saw the tide turn and I saw other shows coming up behind it. It was great shows, even like a show like This Is Us, which is not particularly a black show, but when you have Sterling and you have Susan, right. you know, who are leads of the show, then there you go. Boom. This right. you see a black family. Right. You know, so um, yeah, that's what it was, man. Um it was that year. I think This Is Us and, and Quinn Sherry came out at the same time. Absolutely. I know, you know, me, Sterling, and Susan have known each other for over 20 years. Right. And and we were all just very excited. Like, this is a really great opportunity that we really get a chance to show our chops and what we can do and show that we can, you know, bring, you can have a fan base. So that those were the years. That's when I saw the tide turn and it's never looked back, man. Now you look, you know, you look at all the, so many, it's a plethora of shows right now right. That, that, that show the black life. You look at Abbott Elementary. Beautiful. Which is not particularly a black show, but it is a black show. Absolutely. You know, Created by a black woman. Show, but it's getting all the love. Mm-hmm. It's getting all the praise. Mm-hmm. You know, even before then, I think 2014 or 15, when Blackish came out. And I was like, yo, this looks like my family. You yes. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that because of the fact that, you know, I'm talking to Omar Dorsey. If his face looks familiar, his voice sounds familiar, Selma, when they see us. Chain going, chain. We we just laughed about with starred Samuel Jackson and Jamie Fox, Ray yes. Donovan, Bones, Genius, Cynthia. You know she uh, starred in that movie as well as Harriet, which we just talked about. The Aretha Franklin, which you haven't seen that. He plays James Cleveland role in the uh, in the uh, Genius Aretha Franklin, which is on Nat Geo, by the way. Now yeah. you you in this uh, I think I call this a peach yourself series, Queen Sugar, because when yeah. you get this opportunity, you know, because we all know that. How these checks come in Hollywood, you you work and then you don't know when you're gonna work again. When you right. finally get a series, you can kind of relax, but you only relax to see if they're gonna renew it. Then you can like, right. oh, okay, they renewed it. Tell us about your role in Queen Sugar and um the difference it makes in your life, both personally and what you're trying to do when you're trying to change the narrative on how blacks are changed or portrayed in television. You know, it's a beautiful thing, man. I remember the day that uh, I was doing a movie in the Bahamas, and Ava uh, calls me. She says, "Oh, I'm about to do a, uh, a, a show called Queen Sugars. Uh, me, it's going to be on the own network, and you know, I just got finished working with Oprah on Selma with uh, Ava. Wow. And, and she said, she said, I want you to read the script, and you tell me what you think about it. I read the script. She said, read it. I wrote a Hollywood. I read it. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. I said. You want me to play this role? And I just come down. This is me coming out for Ray Donovan. Right, right. Playing, uh, <laughs> playing like, you know, uh, Cookie Brown, playing one of the coldest dudes on television. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, Omar, I want you to play this role. Was, um, matter of fact, when, when Ray Donovan was out, me and Ava went out. Uh, we went out. She was like, I like Ray Donovan. She said, you're a great actor. She said, but I see something else for you. She told me that. And uh-huh. she said, I see something else. I don't want you to always have to play, you know, this, that, and the other. I said, okay, I feel you. I feel you. Uh-huh. So then maybe three or four months later, she hits me with that script. And, and I'll say, well, this is amazing. This is, mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. So when I have the audition for it, she said, audition? No, 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 no audition. So my, wow. Know, she, said, it's, she said, I'm producing it with Ava. We, we, I'm producing it with Oprah. We love you. So, wow. you know, we'll call your lawyers and do the deal. And it's already a put series, which means it's already picked up for 13 episodes. So I went from like job to job to like, 
wait, 13 episodes? <laughs> like, whoa, uh, as a series regular? Like, right. My right. whole life changed in that conversation. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it truly did. And and that's just the monetary thing. Playing Hollywood, playing Hollingsworth Desonet, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Hollywood, has changed my life so much. It's changed my life as a man because I'm saying these words to this woman every day. And I'm saying them. At first, I was like, man, this is corny. Nobody thinks like this. Nobody talks like this. I'll play it. But then, then the character starts to seep inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I found myself uh, being more like Hollywood on a daily basis uh, because I was like, this is how a man should treat his woman. Mm-hmm. This is how a man should be in the community. This is how a man should treat his whole family. So I feel like playing that role has changed me that much. And it's changed the perception of the type of actor I am. I see now, man, like it's crazy. Like the roles that I get now, which, you know, we're talking about play, going from playing thug number one to playing the sheriff in a, ho- a Halloween franchise, which, is, you know, also came from my buddies who, who did the Eastbound and Down series that I used to be on. But like all, a lot of the stuff I get now, man, a lot, most of the things that I get now are these upstanding, you know, really great men. Right. And I really appreciate that because, and I know that it came from Queen Sugar. I know that. Mm-hmm. Like I just finished doing a movie called Water Boys and um, playing with a young, the young fellow who's on David Makes Man. Um, and I play his mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of street stuff involved in it, mm-hmm. but I play his mentor who owns a who owns a um, IT company and owns a, co- a copy shop and all of this type of stuff and mm-hmm. I hire him but I'm like the voice of reason throughout the movie and it's like these are the roles that weren't really offered to me before Queen Sugar so even like even with that man it's just such a blessing and even the stuff I get because I, I don't have to audition a lot anymore I just I get these offers for these amazing roles now congratulations and it all comes from you know seven eight years ago when it went when Abel calls me in 2015 you know um and asked me to read this script so yeah we'll be right back with more money making conversations masterclass with Rashawn McDonald let's take a moment to breathe deep inhale Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia. And you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. I'm going to tell you something. I'm talking to Omar Dorsey, a classically trained NAACP award-winning actor based in the uh, Atlanta, Georgia area called Decatur, doing his thing down here. You know, we're going to transition a little bit because I'm pretty sure you're a sports enthusiast. You know what? Okay, you got the Falcons down here. You got the Hawks down here. You got the Braves. Yeah. Braves world champion. Hawks I got the flag in my front yard. I got a UGA flag in my front yard, too. See, oh, yeah. oh, 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 Georgia Bulldog got that, too? Yes, sir. Okay, cool. So, so, a uh, 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 real Bulldog fan? Real? Yes. Okay, cool. So, so they're going to win it again, sir? Yes. Okay, cool. I mean, they had five people drafted in the first round defense last year. Hey, man, them boys right behind them, ain't, ain't no punks either, man. The boys who was playing second, uh, like, we got Carter uh, coming in. There you boy, go. He, he, Ringo, Ringo, yeah, Ringo, Ringo, <laughs> Ringo. He already, him and Carter both are, and um, and Bowers. They all uh, yes, all Americans. Woo! Now we, we money. We, now, we good over here. Now you know. Well, I bring and that we got up that because forty-year-old man playing quarterback. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, when I when I look at your your, your brand, because I'm about to transition to Hollywood, Halloween, you know, yes. a series, you know, that's what I love about your career, man, because of the fact that hard work, consistency, you made a decision to say, I don't want to do this. A lot of people look at you and go, hey, man, you don't want to work anymore in Hollywood? This is what they see in you. You said, that's not what I see in myself. And right. then you working in an iconic horror series called Halloween. Yes. And you yes. play a, a character that's a dignified character. Yes. You're not, not a thug. You know, you, you're on the other side of the thug. You're the police. You're the sheriff. Exactly. And, exactly. You, and you're working with the infamous Jamie Lee Curtis. That's my sister. <laughs> I love Jamie Lee. Jamie Lee Curtis talks so much smack. Uh-huh. You wouldn't even understand. This woman would talk. She talks so much trash. Uh-huh. I love her so much. And she is so funny. She's so... And she's just a throwback to those uh, women of the uh, 70s. And, the, you know, she's like one of those actresses, man. But she can, she's still, like, she's still ripped up in amazing shape, man. She, I love Jamie Lee with all my heart, man. I love her because we didn't have any scenes in the first one. Yes, sir. So we came up for the second one. She was like, Omar, I didn't get a chance to talk to you. But I absolutely love your, your acting. I love everything that you do. Wow. I love what you did in Hollywood. I was like, man, that's crazy. I appreciate it. We only had one one or two scenes in the first week, so uh-huh. she saw the whole thing put together. She was just so excited. She loves it, man. And, and you know, we have a great time. I love Jamie Lee with all my heart. Well, you know, Bloomhouse resurrected the, the, the brand, you know, and I can't wait till it yeah. airs again this fall, October 14th, when it hits theaters again. Now, then you go over to Power Book. Yes. And like I said, and let, let's talk about that a minute, because like you said, Rashawn, now that I'm getting a, a diversity in my roles, right. I don't mind doing it. It's just part of your portfolio now. It's part of yeah, your cachet yeah. now. So explain yeah. to everybody what exactly what you mean. What it is is this. Like, okay, so I play I, I play uh, uh, Cartier Fareed, Cartier Dance Fareed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know. He's a very mysterious character. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're only on episode three right now, so he's just 
to just get little drops of what he's doing. Right. But episode four is going to go um, is when it goes all the way up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get to start to see a little bit of what he is and who he like, like how he moves around and he's in the music business, but he's also in the art world. Mm-hmm. He's in some other things too, but you don't even know that you really wouldn't even understand. All you know, it is like, he's a mysterious character who's, um, you know, uh, he's a man of mystery. That's all I'll say. About <laughs> he's a man of mystery. He wears the most impeccable suits. And, 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 and I think the last episode that just came out yesterday, I was speaking, I, I was speaking that speech. I was, I was talking to the lead, lead character, uh, a rock played by Patina Miller. Uh-huh. I was talking to her. I was spitting game at her, but I was spitting game using Shakespeare. Wow. And so, you you know, I get a chance to use some of that. And I right. was dropping on him and it was like, whoa, this is something different. I've never got a chance to say Shakespeare on um, camera before. I've done it on theater, but I was like, wow, this is now this is fun. I love it. I love it. I'm speaking to Omar Dorsey, uh, just about his career, a brilliant career and it's only growing. But currently it's the last season, sadly, as we say, Queen Sugar on the OWN Network, a project brought to him by Ava DuVernay has turned into a NAACP award-winning show and it's part of your legacy now. As we wrap right. up this interview and you being a part, seeing a guy who, like I said, I pointed out something in 2006 just to let you know your body at work, how it shifted out and how I look so diverse. So, you know, you could be hated in Harriet and be loved in Queen Sugar and then mysterious and raising Canaan. So. Right. That's where you're at in your life, my friend. And then you can be right there, the Sheriff Barker in Hollywood. That's, That's right. a beautiful resume, my man. Any, any important thoughts? Man, you know, I just appreciate you, man. Um, but, yeah, uh, this is what it is, man. Like, like you said, you have to really believe in yourself. Uh-huh. You know, um, but before, any, before anybody can believe in you, you got to believe that the skills that you have, that the work that you've put in, like, uh, that that will translate whenever in whatever career uh, path you choose, where, however you want to do it. If you're into politics or if you're into uh, the arts, if you're into sports or if you're into education, if you have done your due diligence and then one day the light will shine on you and you'll be ready for, you'll be ready for your close-up. Cool. You'll be ready for that close-up. Well, thank you, my brother. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here talk about the, the last season of Queen Sugar. Again, we'll be watching. Again, we'll be watching on the small screen. Be watching on the big screen. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. Thank you so much, brother. Yes, Appreciate sir. It. We talk soon, my friend. Stay safe. All right, brother. Peace. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations Masterclass with your daily Minute of Inspiration. Recently, I spoke with Grammy Award winning, chart topping gospel singer, actress, songwriter, producer, and businesswoman, Tamla Mann. She explains how important it is to support our communities first. You know, I'm learning this thing, like you were saying earlier. And to just be honest with people, and you know, we, you know, we do it for other genres or other people that are not from our community. Yes. I just want us to learn to support one another, and we all can grow, and we all can be millionaires, billionaires, or whatever we want to be. If, right. if we support our own as black people, guys, we don't really need nobody. That's true. We can so we can do it all by ourselves. You know, just by supporting each other. I'm talking to Tamla Mann. She's preaching the economics of the black community. (laughs) If you want to listen to this full interview with Tamla Mann, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com.
Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Dr. Cedric McFadden. He's a popular TV medical contributor for Black Health. He's a Black Health advocate and assistant professor of surgery. Dr. McFadden graduated with honors, something I did from Xavier University of Louisiana in New Orleans, down in that good food country, and, named, right. <laughs> and earned his medical degree from Temple University School of Medicine in Philadelphia. Another great eating place as well. And man loves to eat, I think, because now he's based in South Carolina. Today, we'll be talking to him about vaccines, variants, masking, reinfections, antibodies, and coping with the loss of the coping with loss and isolation. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, Dr. Cedric McFadden. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be one of your guests. Well, thank you, because I, I when I look at my medical history, sir, you know, um, in 1990, you know, I, I always thought I was a guy who could, like, um, heal himself. You know, if I if I got a cold, I'd just go outside and play basketball, yeah. just sweat it out of me. You know what I'm saying? And then, then in 1990, my lung collapsed, and I stayed in the hospital for 30 days. So that was the first uh, uh, touch of immortality. I couldn't live forever. <laughs> Tapped into my life. Because I checked out of the hospital about three times, and every time they said, we got to bring you back, we don't know what's wrong with you. And then in 2015, I, 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 I was diagnosed with cancer. And you know yourself doctor, when you tell somebody they have cancer, it, 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 they life, my life did flash, you know, and it was, a, it was yeah. a sudden sense of reality. They hadn't even told me anything about it was, uh, it was curable. They just, all I heard was cancer and it was tied to me and my body. And uh, it was turned out to be thyroid cancer. And uh, that was another surgical scar that was around my 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 neck and they removed that and and uh, burnt the cancer out of me. You know, it was 2015. I'm still every year I go through checks. And then recently I had a sweat gland tumor that uh, removed from the back of my head. And so I got a scar here, scar here, scar around my back. Now these are vis- physical scars. The pandemic a lot of left a lot of emotional scars tied to isolation. Talk to us about that. Well, you're absolutely right. I think one of the scars and the challenges that people experienced after COVID, even during the pandemic, was sort of that feeling of being alone, whether that be you're stuck in the house, can't go out to work, you're not interacting with your normal social circle. That's hard on a lot of people. And it's it's hard because we're used to having time together with our family. We're used to having family reunions, having dinners at church, and we stopped all of that. And that creates, you know, a scar. You, you, you talk about, you know, what creates a scar. Initially, it's it's the trauma. It's the it's the injury to the tissue, to the cells that then leads to, as it's healed, a residual presence. And often we're seeing even now that we're, you know, getting to a different phase of the pandemic, you might say, uh, there's residual. There's residual anxiety, uh, whether it be just re-entering back into normal life, if there ever will be such a thing. Um, but often we're still finding challenges with you know, how our churches can come back together again. That's a scar, right? Mm-hmm. How our students can come back together and play football. That's mm-hmm. a scar. Mm-hmm. And how we make our lives continue despite the scars. So still a real uh, you know, a, a present you know, effect with this all that we're going to have to continue to work through and follow kind of our science and, and making sure we're taking care of ourselves at the same time. You know, when you talk about being a black health advocate, 
you know, you know, I, I, we know black people. We're notorious bad eaters. Fried food is our friend. You know, uh, the high cholesterol is the silent killer in the black community. And uh, but now we're talking about mental health too, which falls into your genre because you have to deal with that. And black people are starting to admit they have mental issues that need to be which is a good thing. handled. It's correct. A good thing. Why do you think that finally black people are saying we have problems and we need to discuss them openly? I think we, we've come to a place where we recognize that you can't ignore it. I mean, 2020 was a tough year mm-hmm. and we it was rem- reminiscent of what we saw, you know, from videos from the 60s or the civil rights movement where you can't ignore the in-your-face uh, you know, graphic um, images of what's happening in front of us. And I think we got to a collective place, not only Blacks, but all of America, that, you know, we were having to deal with the trauma of it all. I, I think we also understood more that we've had people who look like myself, right. who've been able to talk with uh, media and talk with churches and schools and to open the door for the conversation about mental health, especially in person of color, Blacks. And having, you know, celebrities and having people come forward talking about their troubles and having pastors be open about their struggles. We've understood that we all experience, we all have challenges when it comes down to our mental health. We all have to find resolution and active processes to help us move beyond it. Um, it's a welcome sight. Um, you can't continue to push toward uh, greatness if you're often mentally pushing back years of stress and abuse and challenges. And so it's going to help us become stronger. It's going to help us become better when we do push forward and push beyond that. Dr. McFadden, you know, here's the thing. You know, you're a health contributor, and everything tends to come back at your doorstep. Okay, and we are uh, the African American and the brown community. We are a community of deniers. You know, we deny the gay community. Guess what? We lead in AIDS infection. We deny our health habits. We lead in COVID deaths. You know what I'm saying? We de- we know we deny that we need mental health. We lead in stress related illnesses. Deny, deny, deny. How can we stop denying and then, which in turn will cause us to live a healthier life? Starting with well, the gay community. Yeah. I mean, it's, it starts by first um, acknowledging, um, acknowledging that there are problems. Mm-hmm. Even though you see these problems, if you don't acknowledge that it exists, you'll never accept and then work toward activating a solution for that problem. Mm-hmm. So we have to first acknowledge, and then we have to address. It's a two-part thing. Um, you know, churches say it all the time, you have to acknowledge your sinner and then move beyond it. Um, we have to acknowledge the fact that we do have eating habits, as you mentioned, that aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. We have to acknowledge that we have certain behaviors, whether it be substance abuse, alcohol, mm-hmm. tobacco, mm-hmm. that are killing us. We have to de- uh, acknowledge the fact that, you know, we've had challenges in getting you know, the health care that we need over the years mm-hmm. because of systemic racism. And the burden's not mm-hmm. placed solely on African-Americans. I mean, as a medical profession, 
we have to acknowledge the years of systemic racism mm -hmm. that has helped um, kind of continue some of those cycles of disparity. Right. Um, and so we all have our work to do, uh, but we also have to take the ownership and move forward with our own progress. Well, you know, the, it, it, thank you for that response. And I, and I guess it upsets me because of the fact that we are such a proud race. And when I, and when I see us leading in negative stats, when I see us leading in age debts, and you know, it just only makes us overall as a race look 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 inefficient, look defective. In other words, when we use when you know, I don't when we COVID when they started listing COVID debts, and then early on it was like three out of ten people who were dying were black, or some states, some cities it was six out of ten. That that was that's not a stat you want to lead in. But it all goes back to the, our, our eating habits and how we live our lives daily or also the communities that we also live in, correct? Well, uh, it's, it's a combination of, of things. It's, it's certainly, you know, your, your body's uh, ability to handle an infection like COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you have to be healthy, right? I mean, so if you're already obese, if you have comorbidities, that's certainly going to make it harder for you to fight uh, something like COVID. Uh, but as we see with not only COVID, we see with cancers, prostate cancer, colorectal cancer, heart disease, we, we, we see a pattern that exists where there is disparity in outcomes, where Blacks are more likely to die from many of these illnesses compared to their white counterparts. Right. Not all of that is genetics. Not all of that is eating well. Some of it's just disparity that's caused from sort of the social determinants of how well we have access to care. Not only care, but how often we have access to good medical care. So it's a combination of a lot of these other factors. It's not exactly that we're just eating poorly. It's not exactly that we made bad choices. It's the collective of all of those things that creates a narrative that you know displays the disparity in health and outcomes. Now, you know, the thing about media, media doesn't help. You know, when because now if you think about it, like, for instance, recently, uh, President Biden, he had COVID and, and I think his wife has COVID as well because he had a double positive test and now he's out. But now if you if you listen to the media, nobody's dying from COVID and we know that's not true. But when it was when it was media savvy to lead with that story, it was all over the news. How do you think the role of how the COVID situation, especially when it comes to death, should be communicated in the news? Should it stay at the top of the story saying, hey, or, or it doesn't matter because it's all about TV ratings? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very difficult question to answer because there, there are several layers of that, right? I mean, there's the pressing news of what's happened that day mm -hmm. that takes precedence often over what's happened two, three, four months ago. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the similar effective when you're celebrating breast cancer awareness month, it doesn't mean that people aren't dying from colorectal cancer. Right. It means that we're in a light to it at this point, but there's this undercurrent of a, of a, of a story that's always present. Right. Um, and I think that's where we in the community have to do our part. Listen, it's like when you go to church, mm -hmm. and, and I'll say that, it's like, or if you go to school, or wherever the, the lessons are being taught, mm -hmm. that's not where the real work is done. The real work is done on a daily basis. It's a minute by minute. It's what we do in our communities. It's what we do in our homes. It's what we do in our places of work. 
And so we can certainly take the lead from what we see in media as sort of the highlight of what's happening. But there's real work that's happening every day across this country, every hospital, every doctor's office, every home where what we know is happening needs to be dealt with and addressed. Talking to Dr. Cedric McFadden, a popular TV medical contributor, black health advocate, and assistant professor of surgery. Um, so I, I assume, based on that response, not saying it's directly from you or how America is handling that, we know people die from the flu. You know, it's not being reported. So same thing is happening basically with COVID. People are out there dying of COVID. It's just not being reported. But they... I'm a person who's double vaxxed. I'm a person who wears his mask, especially on the plane, sir. I yes. will have my mask on. When I go through the airport, I'll be on, I'll be flying tomorrow. It'll be people walking around <laughs> like, whoo, okay, I don't know none of y'all people. I don't know where you come from. Okay, y'all just breathing. I've got my mask on. What are your thoughts when you see that? Am I being overly health conscious or am I doing the right thing? based on how I should treat my mental health and my body? Well, you know, we all have been there, right? You're, you're in the store, you're, you're wearing a mask, other folks aren't wearing a mask. Um, I do think it's the responsibility of us to take care of not only ourselves, but the people that are around us. Mm-hmm. And I've told folks, folks that that means wearing a mask, that means wearing a mask, um, even if it's in the airport, even if it's in churches. Uh, or schools. I do think that as we have seen more people like yourself getting double vax, getting your boosters and, and following up on symptoms and doing our personal responsibility, it does make us feel like, okay, we're in a safer spot. Uh, and in some ways, there's some truth to that, but we still have a responsibility in places where we don't know the, the uh, health of the people that we're around. You know, when these large public settings, it's a different group than if we're in sort of the confines of our home or our employment where we know the people that we're around. So I don't think that you're being unreasonable and I don't <laughs> think that you uh, should feel completely out of place because, again, you're doing what is right, especially making sure you take care of your own health and taking care of the people that are around you as well. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. You know, uh, you know the medical community is will never be the same since COVID. Because, you know, you because now, you know, you Zoom. I've been my doctor said we don't have to meet. Uh, we can meet yeah. via Zoom. I said, OK, yeah. all right. You know, before that, there had been blasphemy. That have been you don't do yeah. medical. You don't do medical care like that. That's horrific. But now the rules have changed. Doctor, talk to me. <laughs> yeah, they, they have changed. But even in our own practice, I mean, I, I've always you know, we, we've, we've talked in the past before COVID about the availability of doing telemedicine. Yes. And as a, as, as a surgeon, I think there's no way that a surgeon can do a visit that way. Mm-hmm. And we know that's not the case. Now, there's certain visits you can't do, but there are definitely some conversations that we can have through this medium. And I think it's like using the tools that we have to our advantage and then coming back to say, how can we continue to use these tools to maximize patient care and to maximize the ability of people to come see us and to get the care they need, even if they can't physically come see us. So I think it's still going to be a part of what we do to what degree that's going to be left to see. But you know, I've also welcomed it and I enjoy having this conversation over virtual care or over the virtual platform with my patients. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. 
Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Well, you know, I know it's not going anywhere, but this is what my takeaway, because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as you get older, you get more and more care and you care more about mm-hmm. living longer as you get older. You, the yeah. Young people who listen to this podcast or this radio show, you'll, you'll find that early in life. You don't care. As you get older, you try to extend the years because, because yes. you can, you know, like I said, you know, when you, when you're 18, you say the word 50, Woo, that's a long way away. But when you say it at 40, it's, it's right around the corner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and so the thing that uh, I'll just tell you, share a story with you. Like when I when I was diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer, um, I, I every year I have a I, I have a doctor at Emory, and I say nothing negative about Emory, but uh, he missed it, and and he and and then I when I go to my annual dental appointment, they they missed it, and the person who found it was a person who was doing my blood test. They just asked me to to to. Um, touch, feel around my neck. And he said, can we do a biopsy? And biopsy came back cancerous. And so what I, what my takeaway from the, the reason those two other people missed it was that I was casual in my conversation. You know, in other words, when you meet people, you know them, they ask you questions, you go, and you, and, well, a stranger, that's, a, that's who she was. I, I didn't know who she was. She started asking me probably the same question. I just spoke differently. Wasn't laughing around. Wasn't joking around about having a great day or thinking about leaving as soon as it's in. And what I've learned in the Zoom calls, and this is anybody who's talking to a medical professional, slow it down. Don't, Zoom the, don't do the Zoom call because you want to get it out the way. Don't do the Zoom call because you're in a hurry. Listen to what the doctor is saying because that disconnect can be dangerous because you haven't made an effort to make that happen. It's just turned on a switch, Wi-Fi, you're there. Am I right? Yeah. It, yeah it's, it's still a real medical visit. It's yes. still a time to hear about the problems you're having and also to hear about potential solutions mm-hmm. to those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a quick note to make sure that you do that is before you get on the call, write down the things that are your, that are on your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, write down some key questions mm-hmm. because you can sometimes forget the things that you want to say mm-hmm. if you don't have them written, especially in front of a doctor or someone that you're going to be kind of going through it fairly quickly. Uh, have a piece of paper and have those key concerns that you have and it's okay to even jot down notes during that visit as well. Mm-hmm. Now, when you hear the, when I hear the title of Dr. McFadden, Black Health Advocate, you know you you've heard me. I I I don't know if I have a health issue other than life. You live a long life, things are going to happen. You know, I'm not a drinker of alcohol. I don't smoke. So these are just things that just happened in my life, part of my metabolism. Mm-hmm. When you say Black Health Advocate, Dr. McFadden, what does that mean? Well, for, for me, I immediately think about everyone in my family, and particularly my, my grandmother, um, that had health problems that would go to the doctor. Um, and often she would leave the doctor, I don't really think, understanding exactly what was related And not having um, an immediate person or even her own ability to advocate fight, question, second guess, come back around uh, to clarify um, information that's been presented. So when I say Black health advocate, I'm primarily referring to someone who's going to speak up, ask the questions, ask the questions again, 
ask them in a different way and not necessarily saying we're driving for a certain answer, but we're providing clarity. We want clarity because we need decisions to be made in a space that's, that's, um, that's fully comprehended. You know, you don't want to make a decision that's uneven. And so you make that decision based on fully understanding. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd like for people to do is to understand the health problems that they face so that they can make better decisions about the care they need to receive. Cool. Now, you went to school down in Louisiana, school called I Xavier. I did. Come on now. I did a great time. Come on now. Great time. I was, so I, yeah. I'm born in Houston, Texas. Okay. It was okay. I 10 West. Yeah. My, my, my boys, uh, my best man in the wedding, he's from New Orleans, went to high school, St. Mm-hmm. All. So I've been down in New Orleans a lot. Tell us about yeah. your college life, man, because I'm sure it was a lot of fun, but also tied to great education and black excellence. Talk to us. It did. And, and, and I'm, I'm just honored to have that experience of being at HBCU, like Xavier University. You know, I initially planned to attend a different university um, that was not at HBCU. And toward the middle of my senior high school, toward some teachers, I had a teacher that reached out and said, you should check out the school about Xavier, called Xavier. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never been to New Orleans. I knew nothing about it. But the presentation, at least from the news report, was about their history in helping Blacks get into medical school, preparing mm-hmm. them properly. Wow. Xavier's been a leader mm-hmm. for years, for decades, in preparing African-American students into medical school. Mm-hmm. And I knew then I wanted to become a doctor. And so that's kind of what led me to even get to Xavier. Mm-hmm. And I fully took advantage of all the things at Xavier, from the you know, pre-med society, the student government, to dealing with different activities on campus. And it was really a great time to explore um, more about, you know, culture in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was grateful to have the experience of being at a church mm-hmm. in the Lower Ninth Ward. And, and, and had a chance to interact very intimately, very closely with members of the community and, and to learn about their experiences and to be able to give back to them. So I, it, was, it was one of the most you know, fabulous four years of my life, and, and I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Wow. You know, I, I look at, I say black excellence when I talk about HBCUs. I didn't attend an HBCU. I'm an advocate of HBCUs. Uh, my company and uh, my brand and uh, my brand association. In fact, one of my nieces, she's going down to Prairie View and I'm very proud of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, this fall, she'll be enrolling into an HBCU. But when you look at the, 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 the like you just said, people don't know. What you don't know can hurt you. And the success and the academic success, especially of HBCUs, if you had somebody listening to this, who's listening to the show, who don't know, what tiny secret or what secret of brand awareness that you'd like to bring to the table that people should know about HBCUs, especially the one you attended? Yeah, it is a is a hotbed of just excellence, you know, from people around the country, around the world who recognize that and come together in a space. I mean, going through sort of pre-med track, it was it was nothing uncommon for us to all be studying together mm-hmm. in, a, in a library setting. And you have you know people who've been through the classes before who reach back out and kind of help you get through with what you're getting through. Um, it was just nothing like it. Um, I grew up in the in the day watching a different world. And while we didn't have a Dwayne Wayne or Whitley Gilbert, it was very similar, that sort of collegiality, <laughs> that sort of camaraderie. It was it was, it was a phenomenal space. And um, I didn't pledge in, in, in college um, 
because I felt like I had so many other brothers around. Right. I mm-hmm. didn't even feel like there was anything lacking right. to want mm-hmm. that because mm-hmm. it was just commonplace. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, Dr. Cedric McFadden, uh, I, I want you to come back. You know, I think that what I try to do on my show is provide information. Um, you, you didn't dodge any of my questions, not the questions you should dodge. But yeah. some people, but there's a clear understanding that more and more in our community need to have advocates like you, need to have a place where they can go and get the information that's, uh, that's spoon-fed to them, not just shoved down their throat. Yeah. And not yeah. when it's too late. But early in the game, because pre-care is the, really the precursor to good care. Correct. And I want to thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. And don't make this your last visit, Dr. Cedric McFadden. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We talk soon, Mr. HBCU grad, Xavier University. We talk about gumbo later on. <laughs> Thanks, you. <laughs> You've been listening to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Always remember to lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations Masterclass is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations Masterclass with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week I sat down with actress Shirley Ralph, who currently stars on the hit ABC comedy series Abbott Elementary. She shares why she networks and makes sure she leaves a good impression on others. Who wants to work with you? Mm-hmm. Who wants to work with you again? A friend of mine has a new series, Shy McBride. Shy and I did a movie together called Distinguished Gentleman. He got his new sitcom and he said, I got to get Shirley Ralph. <laughs> and they were like, Shy is asking me if you do this show with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's small, but I'm just like, when your friends and people mm-hmm. call you because they've got to have you, the least you can say is, okay, yes. If you want to listen to this full interview with Shirley Ralph, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. 